Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. This is Shang Peng, Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now, also with NBC Sharks. You can find my work at San Jose Hockey Now and also at Twitter, Shang underscore Peng. Hi, I'm Keegan McNally. I'm a writer for San Jose Hockey Now. You can find me on Twitter at halfwall underscore hockey and at my website, half-wallhockey.com. Uh, we're excited to uh, bring to you tonight a couple of uh, interesting Sharks topics. First of all, we have a uh, Anthony Duclair interview at the end of the show uh, where we talk about his uh, upcoming Black Ice documentary that he was a part of, um, some of his time playing with Joe Thornton in uh, Florida, and we ask him about the Hockey Diversity Alliance drama regarding Evander Kane. Is he uh, going to try to get Jumbo to center him this year with the Sharks? <laughs> yeah, that's the big news. <laughs> um, this year, or we also have a... Um, uh, some updates on the Eric Carlson trade situation because we cannot avoid Eric Carlson trade situation drama. <laughs> and the big news of the week regarding the San Jose Barracuda, uh, which you might have heard through a uh, recent Martin Kaut interview. Um, so welcome, everybody. We're very excited to uh, get started today. Shang, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I'm about to uh, drive down to LA. So uh, let's uh, talk and then I'm going to start driving and it's a good six hours. Uh, a very grave mistake on uh, my part to drive from here to LA because it's going to be 100 degrees uh, where my family lives at in LA. But uh, uh, it's about 60 or 70 in San Francisco right now. But uh, it's my mom's birthday this Sunday. So yeah, so you're you're being good fun, and you're going to be mm -hmm. driving six hours to see your mom. Make sure you remind her repeatedly that you're driving six hours <laughs> to come see her, and um, and gaining forty degrees. So. Yeah, and gaining you're going away from beautiful weather into a hundred degree weather. <laughs> no, that that's that's awesome. Um, it's uh, where I'm at. It's about uh, seventy five, eighty, so it's a good temperature here too. But it has still been hot this entire month. Now that we have our weather report out of the way, <laughs> uh, why don't we start um, just so we can get it out of the way? Because last yep. year or last week we spent probably an hour talking about the Eric Carlson. Eric, trade Eric, season. Eric. Yeah, we basically were stuck on Eric Carlson. So let's get it out of the way. Let's uh, ask like one question. Is there any update that you know of regarding the Eric Carlson trade situation? Yeah, uh, I've you know po been posting uh, what I've been reading, uh, and I think in general the consensus is that it is between the Penguins and the Hurricanes. Still, there are no other teams. Ellie Freeman said that he hadn't heard of any other teams, which we have talked extensively about. That that matters for what the Sharks are getting back. The more teams in it, the better return the Sharks get. Um, but um, that right now that they're you know we're at kind of a standstill, a game of chicken. It sounds like the Sharks don't want to retain a lot. And so at that at that rate that the Sharks supposedly want to retain, we don't know exactly how much, but it's not what teams want. Teams aren't willing to give a lot. And so unless we have some move in either of those areas, the Sharks retain more or teams are the Penguins or the Hurricanes are like, well, we really want Carlson. So, OK, we'll give you something and you don't have to retain that much. You know, we're sort of a impasse now. I still believe that. A trade will happen before training camp. That's my prediction. I could be wrong. Um, I also think that my guess is that the, it will be the Penguins. And Freeman did say that it was uh, tipping toward the Penguins. That was his sure. word. But 
it's my own belief too, just looking at the situation and also things that I, I reported, I believe last week, that my impression, my understanding, talking to sources, that the hurricanes are just in it for the bargain. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 in it to just to uh, to, uh, to 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 snipe the eBay auction in the last uh, in the last <laughs> you know last second because you know uh, because you know it, it, the the it offers or the deal is too good to pass up. Um, so that's that's sort of my impression of where the Canes are 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 at with this overall. Also, too, um, just looking at the rosters of both teams. Um, the Hurricanes, as they are now, they don't need Carlson, uh, are still considered a clear cup contender. And sure. they are right now, they don't need to add anything. They're a uh, deep team top to bottom. The Penguins, on the other hand, uh, even though they did make some, uh, I think, strong additions in terms of depth roles uh, uh, this summer, uh, they they still need something, I think, uh, to uh, take that next level or to be considered in the upper echelon of contender. I'm not saying that Carlson is the perfect solution for them, but there aren't a lot of game-changing players out there in general. So Carlson is a solution or answer. And if things work out... Uh, you know, if he can stay healthy uh, with uh, some of his teammates there, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, mm-hmm. Rust, Genso, you know, uh, you know, uh, a lot of great players on that team. You know, maybe they they can they they can go get somewhere somewhere special. Um, and so they need a, a a guy like a Carlson, I think, to uh, change the trajectory of of the team. Uh, yeah. Carolina doesn't need Carlson. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like, you know, one could argue that Carolina does need them more just because they haven't won a cup, whereas Pittsburgh has. But I understand what you're saying, basically, where Carolina is a deeper team. They already have the depth on defense that um, Pittsburgh doesn't really have. uh, And it seems like Pittsburgh like wants to get Carlson a above and beyond Carolina, but this yeah. is all kind of the the speculation that we deal with. On we know, we day. know that Dubas, he said it flat yeah. out that he likes Carlson a lot. We've heard nothing of the sort from Don Waddell. doesn't mean that Waddell sure. doesn't like Carlson, but also too, just look at Carolina's defense right now. If you yeah. don't make, if you don't, if they don't lift a finger, uh, for the the rest of this postseason, and also too, I think they're cap compliant now too, so they really don't need to do anything with their roster. And yeah. right now, the top five defense is Brent Burns, uh, uh, Slavin, Pesci, uh, uh, Brady Shea, and yep. Dmitry Orlov, uh, who they just signed for two years, uh, seven million almost almost sixteen million. Yeah, two years. Yeah. I think seven point seven five is AAV. Wow. So this is not a team that is really lacking in any clear area in my in my in my estimation whereas the penguins they are and so they should be a little bit more more motivated to add a potential game changer like eric yeah it feels kind of like the peng or the the hurricanes are kind of there in case the penguins deal falls through like in case it's september 15th (laughs) and they've been you know arguing for three months about carlson and they can't get it done and And i think carlson got traded on uh september 13th exactly uh, i believe so and that did cross in the training camp a little bit but not too Mm -hmm. deep into it so maybe we'll see something like that too which uh will be a you know uncomfortable uh uh, situation (laughs) uh to start training camp but uh i i I, i'm there for it so (laughs) it's gonna be again we're gonna have updates every week when we can get updates um but i feel like the the more we get into the july and early august that it's just gonna take longer and longer you Mm -hmm. know like they just kind of get entrenched into their own rosters and 
it takes a lot to move people away. So, yep. um, yeah, it just feels like maybe that Carolina is going to wait around to the end and see if, you know, things fall apart and the Sharks really need to move Carlson kind of thing. Um, and then they, they're, they're like, oh, we're here if you're going to send Carlson at 5.75 million kind of thing. So, or if we don't want to send anything back, you know, you want yeah. a fifth round pick? Yeah. Fine. Retain just 2 million, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we'll see what happens with the, the whole situation. We don't want to talk about um, everything. Uh, or we don't want to talk just about Eric Carlson today. I think um, we have some pretty big news regarding the, the Barracuda right. and um, some of the... Uh, the things that were said about that organization that I think a lot of Sharks fans have on their mind. Um, so the biggest thing um, was... Well, can I uh, interrupt you first? I want to yeah, jump and make sure that we mention uh, that Martin Cal did an interview with Czech Press, mm-hmm. Robert Rampa of, I believe it's uh, IDNES. And so a really actually interesting interview, not just the Barracuda stuff. Uh, if you've seen uh, the story on San Jose Hockey Now, I linked to uh, the, the rest of the interview and even through Google Translate, which you know I try not to use. I, I had someone actually translate the whole interview, uh, even yeah. the, the stuff beyond the Barracuda stuff. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it about, you know, Cal's kind of mental health and just um, just yeah, how difficult it was for him to uh, play uh, in North America with, you know, not a lot of uh, family support, that sort of thing. So anyway, I just wanted to make sure that we started show that uh, Rob, Robert's excellent work there. And it is a really interesting uh, interview, no matter what you think of it. Yeah, it's, it's honestly something that goes beyond just um, the San Jose Sharks and the San Jose right. Barracuda. It's kind of an interview that... Um, is almost like a tell-all interview that players do after they retire. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Something that their, their career is done that they mentioned happened 10, 15 years ago, but Martin yeah. Count is 23, 24, and he's like in the starting the prime of his career. Um, and if you don't know, and if you're un, uh, not familiar, Martin Count was offered a qualifying offer by the San Jose Sharks to continue to be in the organization, um, but then elected to sign a, a deal in Chechia. So to go home mm-hmm. to his home country and play for, uh, I think it's Dynamo. HD Dynamo. Um, I'm it. not sure the, how to pronounce the city part, part of Buch- I should have, I should have looked it up. It's spelled P I've written it a lot without saying it. It's spelled P A R D U B I C E. I think that's actually where Hashik is from, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, it's a major Czech hockey, uh, hockey power. Uh, yep. They're one of the predominant teams in uh, in the Czech League. Yeah, so he elected to basically leave North America and, and go play for them. Um, the Sharks retain his rights, basically keep him uh, in their reserve list, but he doesn't add on to their contract list. So he's still going to have his rights retained by the Sharks, but he just won't be playing for them for next year. And when he went over there, he um, had a couple of things to say regarding his decision. Um, <laughs> he he, he of, released, like uh, yeah. like like you said, he released his uh, his post career me- memoir. Yeah, <laughs> about and, fifteen years early. <laughs> and it kind of um, you know not broke you know Sharks Twitter for a minute, but it, it kind of scared people. And and the biggest thing was, and we're going to get to a bunch of the different points that he made yeah. or, or things that he talked about. So Martin Kaut, in his interview when he went back to Chechia um, with Robert Rampa, uh, mentioned a couple of, or it's a very long interview, but he mentioned a few things that are that are worth noting. Uh, first of all, he mentioned that um, a Barracuda coach, an unnamed coach, picked out someone for him to fight 
every game. They said, this is the way that you're going to make the NHL is you're going to fight this guy and you're going to compete against him. Um, and he used the word specifically to fight. He uh, mentioned that the guy he was told to fight was often bigger than him and more experienced in fighting. And Martin Kaut is not an experienced fighter at all. Yeah, only has had two fights, according to his hockey fights profile, both in, I believe, his first or second year in the AHL. Got to check that, but early in his AHL career. He's been in AHL for, I believe, five years. Yeah. So when he was just trying to break in as like a, you know, 19, 20 year old in the NHL, maybe he fought a few times to show that he has some grit, but he's not a big fighter. Um, The other things he mentioned was that he said that each of the youngsters on the Barracuda uh, wanted to play for themselves specifically. And he also wasn't very motivated to fight for youngsters that were playing for themselves only. Mm -hmm. Um, he, uh, then goes on to talk about how the Sharks offered him a two-way contract, which is pretty standard for a player of Martin Kaut's caliber in terms of his production. And he admits it in an interview too, that he doesn't think that he deserved a one-way contract. So that's worth noting. But he, he tried to amend it, or they tried to amend it so that he could at least earn more than a hundred thousand dollars in the AHL. Cause in a two-way contract, you're in a different amount in the NHL versus the AHL. Um, and they weren't able to work that out, um, and they weren't able to settle on that number, so then he jumped ship to Chechia. Um, and then finally, the Sharks, after getting you know wind of this interview, um, noted uh, a, a pretty strong response to his claims. And mm-hmm. this is a, a direct quote, but they said, we've been made aware of comments attributed to Martin Kautz stating that he was pressured to deliberately instigate a physical engagement with opposing players on the ice. Let's be... Let us be unequivocally clear that no such direction was ever given or insinuated by the members of the Sharks or Barracuda coaching or hockey staffs. So, Shane, first, I guess, on the the biggest question, is there something rotten, something awful going on with the Barracuda organization? Right. And that's, you know, I'm going to get into kind of my thoughts on all of that. Um, but first, uh, let's talk specifically about the, the fighting it, it itself. Yeah. And from what I understand, the Sharks checked with Joe Will, John McCarthy, assist- assistant coaches Kyle Hagel and Louis Mass before they issued their statement. So there was sort of a double checking, like, "Hey, <laughs> you know, is is this stuff true or not?" Now, believe now you can believe the Sharks or not, but obviously, what came back from the uh, from the Barracuda side of it, uh, the Sharks believed what they heard, and so they they put out their uh, their statement. And so in my mind, then now we have one of these, you know, he said, he said situations, you know, who do you believe? These are saying two very different things here. And so I've been trying to dig at this uh, uh, all, you know, really uh, since, since Monday beyond the, the the original story that uh, was posted at San Jose hockey now, and, you know, try to talk more with Martin. Um, try to reach out to, I checked with multiple sources, uh, AHL executives, NHL scouts, um, player agents, players, and so on. And not, you know, everybody got back to me, but a lot of people did. I probably texted or emailed about 20 different uh, people. And I'll say that I got responses from, I think, more than half of them about just different questions I had about everything surrounding this. And I will say that, um, and you know, these are people with a lot of experience at the at the AHL level. That 
they haven't heard of anything as specific as Kaut's claims in this day and age of, you know, of hockey. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this isn't slap shot. This isn't the 70s. Sure. And so I will say a flat out that if Kaut's claims are completely true, that that coach should be fired, in my opinion, especially mm -hmm. if you consider Martin Kaut's injury history. And he's mentioned he's had a couple of shoulder injuries and he's had a couple of concussions, three concussions, I, I, I believe he said. And mm -hmm. so I think that there are... I, I think that there are still cases where we're, 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 we're fighting. There's, there's a place for it in, in hockey still. I do mm -hmm. think that, but um, to pressure a player, especially, well, any player, not even a, a fighter or a non-fighter fighter to fight every game is yeah. sort of uh, beyond the pale. And Agreed. so, I yeah, there's, I think there's two big caveats that I think we should make. One is that the sharks, like I already said, Deny right. basically completely. that allegation. Yes, completely deny it. Like not even won. once. Yeah, yeah. They said that that's not something that they did. So mm -hmm. we want to make that clear that we're not putting words that this actually did or did not happen. We don't specifically know. We have you know they're denying it. Counts saying it happened. The second is that you're absolutely right. Fighting in hockey is a difficult issue right now, and it's um, something that a lot of people and. Uh, uh, believe should be, you know, part of the game. And it is a history of the game. Like, not just like that it is, should be a part of the game, but it's been a part of the game. Um, but that you also should not force people who don't fight to fight. And and I think Cal mentioned that in his interview, basically where, you know, there's a bad hit, there's something, a reason to fight. Players want to fight. Like, yeah, and he wants to. But like to, to these kind of staged fighting, guys that are not accustomed to it will, you know, get hurt. Not just like it's they don't want to do it. They can get hurt. You know, those those dudes who fight in the AHL are seasoned fighters. So I think it would be agreed wrong in any coaching staff to ask that of somebody like Cout who doesn't fight. Cout's not a small guy. He's a big guy, but he's not a fighter. Right, right. You know, like Viel is not a huge guy, but he's a fighter. Like he sure. can fight. So like if, if he got asked to fight, it wouldn't be beyond the pale like you're mentioning. Yeah, something that he's you know agreed upon. Basically, this feels a little bit like coercion in a way that is not appropriate. If it happens, no, it's it's not. Um, but so on the other hand, though, uh, you know, and like I was alluding to, you know, none of my sources have heard of anything like that going on in general with the Barracuda or the Sharks, yep. and you know, from other clients, other Barracuda and Sharks players, and so I do wonder if something was lost in communication. But maybe that's too easy a crutch here because Martin's interview was pretty crystal clear. So mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that uh, that that part wasn't. It's pretty crystal clear what he was saying. Um, sure. But uh, I, you know, I, I do wonder if if a coach might have been alluding more about Martin needing to play with more fight, not fight as an actual fighting, but more compete, more battle. Which I honestly agree with. I actually think that that is one of the reasons why Martin Kaut isn't in the NHL because, um, you know, he's kind of a, a finesse player in a, in a big man's body, but not quite enough finesse or skill to just coast 
or just live off of that at NHL level. And this is my opinion. Again, I'm not saying that he needs to be, um, you know, uh, you know, punching dudes, you know, yeah. at all. He's not Milo you know? Lucic. He's not going to be like at that. all. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I also add too that, uh, and I've spoken with Martin uh, on multiple occasions uh, when he joined the Sharks in the Barracuda, and his English is very good. And so um, I, I do want to be very clear about that too. So, um, so even though I wonder if something was lost in communication, you know, it, 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 uh, it, I can't say though that 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 tracks either necessarily because, like I said, his his English is very good. But um, mm-hmm. I, I will say too though that it's also highly unusual, right, to ask a recent first round pick, uh, 2018 who was drafted for his skill mainly to become a, a fighter on, on, a, on a nightly basis. I mean, to turn him into, I guess, try to turn him. I don't think the Sharks told him to stop scoring because when he was with the Sharks, he played with Hurdle. When he was with the Barracuda, he played on skill lines too, right? He wasn't a guy that they were putting out there like seven minutes a night and, yeah. you know, you know, uh, just tangle with the biggest guy necessarily, right? So they were still want him to score, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe it was like a meet on Lucic where at least uh, Lucic in his prime when it's a guy that was both a scorer and a uh, fighter. But it just seems, that does seem unusual. Um, and I think uh, just to end the thought about whether or not the Barracuda asked Cal to fight on a nightly basis, and before we examine if there's a culture problem in general with the Barracuda, if there's something really uh, a, a, a huge uh, a, a rot, <laughs> a distinctive rot uh, going on uh, with, with the Barracuda, I, I think you do have to decide kind of who you tend to, to believe here, to be honest. You know, if you tend to believe what Calc said more, and if he's, what he's saying is true in the end, then yeah, there's a big, big problem with the Barracuda. You know, people should be let go for 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 some of this stuff. Players are being taught in this scenario, you know, and this is, of course, right now in a very different era of hockey that I will say the the wrong thing. Um, you know, again, telling a guy that's, you know, uh, has three concussions, allegedly telling a guy with three concussions and just 23, you got to fight every night. Yeah. You, know, you got to literally punch a guy every night, right? <laughs> and take punches every night. Yeah. On the other hand, though, uh, if you think that there are there's maybe some communication gap or something else going on here, then that's what we're going to continue to talk about. Just other things that uh, Cal said about the Barracuda and also other things that have come out after the Cal interview. And I'm trying to address everything uh, the best I could with uh, everyone I talked to. Yeah, and it sounds like the, the fighting allegation, one way or another, is going to be difficult to corroborate. Right. So like we may not ever know if that is 100 percent true or mm-hmm. not, or if there's some sort of in between, like you're yeah. saying something like uh, you need to fight more as in compete more versus actually fight. It's, you know, it's possible. He did mention specifically, this is the dude they told me to fight. And they mentioned or he mentioned a guy who was like six foot eight. Right. And his to countrymen, fight. too. Right. So and his countrymen as well. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't. Obviously, the Sharks deny it, and, and this is what Cout has said, and we'll have to wait to see if there's more information regarding that. And if there is and, and there's any kind of evidence, then clearly that's something that needs to be addressed whatever the coach was that said that. But the other things that he mentioned, I think you're right, we should, we should also talk about because 
there might be some merit. I think there might be merit with the Barracudas youngsters um, playing for themselves rather than and playing as a team. This is a team that I watched multiple times throughout the year that was undisciplined, uh, would lose big games and lose them late, uh, would take undisciplined penalties constantly. Um, it was a team that at certain points felt like players were playing to get into the NHL rather than playing to win games. And um, I just wanted to, to ask you if you had heard anything about that as well. Just from my own observations, I felt sure. like there might be some merit. Yeah, and I can corroborate uh, that part of it. Uh, there is thought to be some lack of accountability among the or among the youngsters, Barracuda youngsters from last year. But I also had to add too, though, that I don't think this is abnormal uh, in any AHL organization. You know, at the AHL, as we know, is kind of a weird mishmash of sure. fringe NHLers, right, trying to get back to the NHL. And youngsters uh, trying to make their mark. And just those two factors, I think it's hard to mold them into a cohesive unit. I don't think that that kind of uh, uh, sort of uh, a layout or whatever, right, to begin with, right, is conducive for forming a unified team. So while I do think that this is a problem and something that needs to be addressed by the Sharks in the Barracuda, um, so I, I do agree, actually, with what Martin said uh, to, to some degree. I don't know if every young player I would paint with that brush, but um, I don't think that also that it was necessarily just an isolated incident either that, that, that Martin is alluding to there. And I do think that that's something that needs to be addressed uh, eternal, internally by uh, Coach Don McCarthy. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, it's not like I don't have any specific names of players or anybody that I, I could, you know, point to and say they're playing for themselves, but maybe just an overall, uh, you know, a newness that that this team is, is you know, we mentioned it in the beginning that this is a brand new Barracuda team. It's a brand new arena. It's a brand new head coach. It's a, a multitude of youngsters that have never played in the AHL or not played significant minutes, sure. all joining a team at once. Um, and I think there was... Um, some hope that the uh, veterans that were added would kind of mold that team. Um, but maybe it wasn't the molding that we thought was going to happen, <laughs> to be honest. Um, there, it was improved, though. I think the year before, um, the Barracuda were awful to watch. They were even we, worse, yeah. So last year's really actually bad. was improvement. Yeah, last year <laughs> felt like improvement, an improvement. At least on the ice. <laughs> In, at least on the ice. And, and you know, just from... I think integrating so many new prospects into the system, in some ways it was a success, um, just whether or not it, it led to the ultimate goal of being a competitive team, probably not, not yet at least. Right, right. Um, and I would add one thing too, that um, young players are often selfish. Like this is not a like um, a abnormal thing also. You know, I would sure. say that most young players, you know, uh, are probably trend to more selfish because in part because the teams that they played on growing up, they were the absolute rock star of the team. Uh, yeah. They were among the top, you know, two, three, five best players on the team. Uh, once you get to the AHL and obviously the NHL, things start to change and a lot of players adjust and are able to kind of... Uh, um, a, 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 able to to grow up and mature and some do not but it is a very common thing too so again i, I don't, i'm not 
I'm not really disturbed by it. And we can see it by, like you said, how the Barracuda played and their eventual record that it wasn't always a cohesive unit, which, again, some blame needs to be placed there. But um, it's not a, you know, it's it's it happens in, in virtually every AHL organization. Yeah. And um, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to say like, who deserves any kind of blame for that kind of thing. It is still like the first year of this, you know quote unquote rebuild the first year of this new organization, new staff all over the place, right. From development mm, coaches sure. to uh, the head coach to everybody. Um, and it's not an excuse. It's just maybe something that, you know, in the post year interviews that they can look at and say, all right, this is where maybe we need to improve, you know, mm. things that might've been overlooked or, or overstepped that we'll get to in just a minute um, that maybe uh, they should address for the next season for the upcoming yeah. Um, another claim or, or another thing that, to bring up about Martin Cout is he talked about his contract situation where mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because he mentioned that he wanted to make um, a specific amount of money if he was playing in the NHL or AHL mm-hmm. rather than the NHL. And he knew that he was going to get a two-way contract, a different amount per if he was playing in the by the Sharks or by the Barracuda. Um, but he wanted to make more than $100,000 and, you know, I'm not a California resident, but others are. California is expensive, even. <laughs> that, for it's a reasonable ask on Martin's part. Yeah, too. for professional <laughs> hockey players. So, you know, how you have to wonder how unpleasant of an AHL situation it would be if you know a couple tens of thousands and more dollars would make it tolerable. Mm-hmm. Is another, and that's a that's a pretty crass way to put it. But like, you know, if you could tolerate it for what a AHL career person would be making. Um, is it that intolerable kind of thing? Yeah. And I'll say to that, that point that um, I noticed that too, but I will uh, give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe that's how much he wants to be in the NHL. And also too, that's maybe how much confidence he has that he would end up uh, with the Sharks and not the Barracuda. It is worth noting that all of his comments were directed at the Barracuda. All of his negative comments were directed at the Barracuda. Uh, sure. He even mentioned in that interview with Robert uh, Rampa that I I didn't put on to. Um, uh, onto my my website because it wasn't I you know try not to take too much from a paywall article but uh, Martin did also mention that at the World Championships that uh, he wanted to impress the Sharks coaches when the Czech uh, when Czechia played the U.S. and Sharks coaches on the other side obviously David Quinn was there Scott Gordon Ryan Warsawski and so on so on and so um, so I want to be clear on on that part of it that uh, he was very specific about the barracuda uh sort of being the target of his ire but in Mm -hmm. terms of the specific contract thing though um i will say this in support of what martin is saying in terms of uh, contracts and this is just my own personal observation um i been i've looked at some of the the contracts signed hl contracts signed uh, at the end of the doug wilson era uh, versus the Mike Greer era. And I think there's more work for me to do here. So I don't want to say that this is conclusive or, you know, maybe someone will, will give me examples uh, after this podcast of, you know, just where I was flat out wrong, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to give you examples, something that I saw last year and I, I meant to follow up on, write about, but I never, I never did in the end because it's not relevant anymore. But well, now it is relevant. But uh, so I saw this last year, both Jeffrey VL and Jonah Gadjevich. Uh, for the last two years, they sort of occupied the same role on the Sharks. 
and Gadge was with the Sharks more, but you know, both are energy guys, fighters, right? Sure. And just want to compare to their two contracts, though. Uh, in July 2021, Doug Wilson signed Jeffrey VL to a two year, uh, two way NHL contract. And in NHL, it was the veterans minimum, $750,000. But in the AHL, it was $225,000 in the same year and $275,000 in uh, this past season. So I'm going to move on now to August 2022. And Doug, Doug Wilson has stepped down. And Mike Greer signs Jonah, re-signs Jonah Gadrovich. Uh, Wilson re-signed VL2. Resigned Jonah Gadrovich to a one-way, two-year NHL contract, 750k in the NHL, just 120,000 in the AHL. Hmm. Um, that's a big disparity between guys that are maybe similar-ish. And so, my larger point, and uh, speaking of what Martin is talking about, and I am supporting what Martin is saying, but it's also not saying a great thing about him, like. If the if the Barracuda aren't valuing you that much, sure, I don't think Mike is as maybe generous as Doug might have been. You know, I think VL. If we're talking about VL and Doug, you know, we're talking about a, a guy that, um, you know, VL is a, a character guy, a guy that you can grow and see as a future leader organization. Also, a guy that uh, you know that Doug. Uh, uh, picked up as a free agent, I believe, right? And so, you know, there's a little bit more of the uh, a reward, I guess, for for uh, for for a guy like that. Uh, I think before with Doug, whereas Mike is maybe not as uh, loose with the purse strings, maybe. And it's not that you know some Barracuda guys are still paid quite well for the AHL level. Just for example, Ryan Carpenter and Scott Sabrin this summer. Uh, likely AHL signings. They have veterans minimum contracts in the NHL and they have 400,000 uh, if they play in a Barracuda. So that's, you know, I, I, it sounds like Martin Cal would have come back for sure for that amount. <laughs> and that is generally on the high end for an AHL salary. When we talk about the two way contracts, I'll just give you another example, Andrew Augustino, who the Barracuda traded uh, this past summer, and he asked for a trade and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but Andrew Augustino last year, veterans minimum in the NHL and uh, was over 300,000 uh, in the, in the AHL. Uh, if he got sent down. Same with the Svechnikov, too. That's another example of that. So it's not like across the board, Mike Greer isn't paying for, or Joe Will. Joe Will is the actual GM of the Barracuda. Between those two, it's not like uh, they're not they're not willing to pay for talent. But if they don't value as highly, um, and, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to throw one more comp at you. Uh, Jacob Peterson uh, came up with the Sharks. Didn't miss a game. Didn't get sent down once, right? I think he's the same age as uh, – he's a year older Just than – Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the draft year is one year difference. But Jacob Peterson uh, re-signed with the Sharks this year. One year, I think, is a veteran's minimum, too, for the NHL. But his, his two-way, his AHL contract is, I believe – don't quote me on the exact figure, but I believe it's $375,000. It's a, it's a higher one. And so – it's clear here that um, that you know the AHL, as far as I know, there isn't really a salary cap too, and all that kind of stuff too. So it's just a matter of the Sharks didn't quite value Cal as much as he wanted to be valued, which is you know unfortunate for Martin there. But it's the you know kind of the reality of sort of the 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 
uh, of the situation, kind of. And there are players that Greer, Joe Will were willing, willing to pay more, and Martin wasn't one of them. Yeah, and, and it's tough because, you know, watching Martin Cout, I there were games when I really, really enjoyed him, especially when he first started with Barracuda and then a couple of the games that he got called up in the NHL, and I felt like he was making an impact. And mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what changed or, or why. Um, maybe it is something about this, you know, competitive skill thing that they keep mentioning, like something about the compete level rather than the actual um, talent. Right. And, you know, that's not to say that that Couch doesn't compete. He does, um, but he just isn't that type of player that's going to be checking everybody through the boards every night. Um, So it could be something that they just aren't valuing in their 13, 14th forward at this time. And they offered him what they felt like he was worth. And he felt like he was worth more. Right, right. And I'll say um, that on my my view of Martin in the NHL, my honest assessment, and um, I mentioned this actually um, in one of our early episodes when we found out that the Sharks had qualified a count, that I was a little surprised by it, even though his, uh, even though he put up five points in nine games in the sure. NHL, which is not a bad total. You know, you do the math there, 40 plus points, that's great, you know. But I, I didn't think he made that many plays kind of watching him. Um, I just, for example, to compare him to Peterson, right. And Jacob Peterson is smallish and I wouldn't call Jacob Peterson a high compete guy either by any stretch. But, um, I think Peterson on a consistent shift to shift basis made more plays, you know, made, you know, uh, you know, got the puck to the next guy, didn't lose the, just little, little things, big, more of an impact, more, yeah, was more more, overall, overall impact. And he, uh, dangerous on the ice, I think so. And Jacob deserved. Uh, uh, you know, another look. I don't know if Jacob is going to end up to be a regular NHLer, but he deserved more of that extra look than, in my opinion, than than uh, than Cal did. Yeah. And and again, it's it's kind of like um, there were games when I felt like Cal did. It's just it wasn't always, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, the back to Cal's, I guess, uh, future aspirations. He also mentioned in the interview that he wants to play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's going to Chechia to only play in Chechia. Um, he mentioned that his coach, Vakla Varada, which I apologize. Former Shark. <laughs> former Shark. Apologize for the pronunciation if it's no, wrong. No, that's right. <laughs> he um, he said, quote, he, he said he'd help me get back to the NHL. Um, so it's an interesting thing to bring up about a coach that he's going to be playing for, that he's going to be leaving said coach. Yeah, to to hoping NHL. to leave soon. <laughs> yeah, hoping to leave that coach. It's kind of an interesting quote, just to me at least. Um I, I don't really know what to make of it other than he clearly saying that he's not like done with the NHL. Right. He wants to come back in some capacity. I highly, highly doubt it's with the Sharks. Like, <laughs> no, but. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I would be shocked. That would be, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, very I mean, I'm, I'm a little red now. Just uh, color me shocked if that yeah. were to happen. <laughs> yeah, very, very strange if it were. But, you know, uh, it, he does seem to want to come back. Yeah, so, I, um, I, I do. I do think he, he does. I've heard that uh, not just... Obviously, Martin said in an interview, but I've heard it uh, elsewhere, too, uh, uh, which makes it kind of odd that he would sort of, uh, you know, burn the bridge with the Sharks. And I don't know if the rest of the NHL is going to take kindly to looking at what he said and be like, this is a guy that we really want on our team, to be honest, you know, unless he is, you know, scoring at some kind of, you know, when you score a lot, when you are a first line, second line NHL player, you're scoring a point per game, you can get away with a lot, honestly, you know. But if you're not one of those guys, you know it's uh, it, it's not as easy to uh, 
to uh, sort of uh, toe the line there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so an interesting thing you brought up earlier is that um, Andrew Agazzino, the captain of the Barracuda, mm-hmm. um, had requested a trade uh, earlier on this offseason. Um, I think at some point it was mentioned that he wanted to be closer to family. Yeah, I just uh, said personal personal reasons that yeah so personal reasons and was traded from um, the san jose organization to anaheim mm-hmm. um and then uh, shortly after that there was a lot of other veterans who had left um we had jeffrey vl had left uh, who had mm-hmm. been a longtime shark uh since 2018 something like that 2018 2019 um aaron dell who had been in and out of the organization um he had he's left he's also older he's 34 he's probably still you know maybe trying to find some different playing time and there's only one net etc etc um uh, cal criscola who we had just acquired for jasper weatherby uh derek pouillot cj suisse um all had luke left. johnson i think luke yeah. johnson who was yeah. also acquired uh last um last training camp ish area or somewhere around there um all had left in the offseason and it's not uncommon right for right. AHL veterans to kind of bounce around teams, right? They're looking for the best deal and they're looking to, you know, their opportunity to make, you know, NHL impact. Right. Um, But it does seem like a big exodus all at once in terms of veteran players. And they, you mentioned they brought back uh, Ryan Carpenter, who's an older shark uh, slash Barracuda member. Um, And then uh, Scott Sabrin. um, And Nathan Todd too. And Nathan Todd as well. Um, but do you think there's any merit in um, or any kind of something to make about this kind of exodus of veteran talent from the Barracuda? Uh, right now, I don't think so. I'm not saying that each of these individual veterans were totally happy as a clam with the Barracuda. Uh, like we talked about, AHL is a weird place where, you know, people are everybody's fighting to get an NHL. You're competing with your own teammates. Right. And that's not conducive toward you can you can form a, a, a cohesive unit from that. But it's a lot harder to, I think. Right. Because everybody has a kind of an individual agenda, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I, I, I you know, I, I, I've tried to, to dig out. I have a few specific things to say about about specific players, but. Just in general, though, the AHL, like you said, is a really high turnover rate league. And, you know, let's look at the 2021-22 Barracuda. Look at that roster and see how many guys left from that, too, right? And so I wouldn't jump to conclusions just based on uh, some, even everybody leaving. And I asked um, Patrick Williams. uh, He covers the AHL. Uh, for both the NHL and AHL.com. I would say that Patrick is the preeminent uh, AHL reporter out there, or he's he's up there. And I just asked him in general. I, I thought so, and I also asked a couple other scouts about this, their perception of it, just to kind of you know make sure that I was on the right track. And Patrick said, and I quote, that the Barracuda's turnover doesn't seem particularly out of the norm compared to other organizations. Now, I want to stress that it doesn't mean that a guy did not leave unhappy or even multiple people did not leave unhappy for this or or that reason, right? But does it speak to the Barracuda are a place that no one wants to go to, that, again, there's a culture problem, there's something, you know, huge and awful going on there? I I don't know. I don't tend to think so. Uh, Let's start first. You know, a couple of these cases really interested me just because they're the ones where maybe – Maybe a guy was unhappy, and that's why he left. 
and um, first uh, Agazino, right? And uh, the thing with Agazino, though, uh, Andrew Agazino, is that um, what makes the case interesting, first of all, is that he was on a two-year contract, and so he was slated to come back with the Sharks Barracuda organization. I thought he was ter- I thought he was the Barracuda's best player last year, and uh, I thought he I, I I thought that he seemed like a good influence on everybody. And I think he he was. I I don't I don't think anyone's taking that away from him. Um, but I guess what I'm saying with Andrew is that we really don't know why he left. And I don't know that for certain at this point. I'm still kind of working on that. But one source told me that he thought that he had heard that uh, Agazino wanted to move out east to be closer to family, which, you know, he got traded further, (laughs) got traded down to Anaheim. But my source then told me that, well, that's what the trade market kind of was. And uh, I would say, though, that um, that with with Agazino and Anaheim, um, that maybe Anaheim was a little more attracted to him for reasons <clears throat> apart from the Barracuda or San Jose, uh, that uh, the, the the Ducks just hired Greg Cronin as their head coach, a former Colorado Eagles head coach. Agazino played with under Cronin. Um, I believe, uh, from what I understand, that they're close, Agazino and Cronin. And so maybe uh, this is just a maybe. I, I don't know this for a fact, so I don't. I don't want to say maybe. Maybe Andrew Agazino did leave the the Sharks Barracuda organization because he hated uh, the Barracuda organization. They were terrible to him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not discounting that possibility. But um, I also. It is also possible that if you go to a coach that knows you better, uh, like great Cronin that you might have a better shot at NHL. You might be, you know, closer, a little higher up on the, on the recall list and all that sort of stuff. Right. And so, so that, that, so that could be indeed the case again, don't know that for certain, but uh, the mm-hmm. next guy I want to talk about uh, isn't actually one of the veterans who left, but uh, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Mon- Montana on and Montana Onyebuchi was signed by the Barracuda a couple years ago. And uh, around midseason, you know, I was hearing uh, one scout, one NHL scout asked me, hey, uh, uh, what's his, like, contract situation? And also, why isn't he playing? Because I think at the time, Montana was hurt. And so I started getting an inkling then that there was interest, NHL interest yeah. in, in, in Montana in signing him to an NHL contract. And anyway... Um, uh, eventually, uh, he signed with uh, with uh, with uh, Coyotes organization, True. and I checked around on that, and uh, I don't, I'm not even sure if the Sharks offered a contract to him. He they 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 might have, uh, because you know they did invest a lot into uh, Onyebuchi's uh, uh, you know uh, development with the Barracuda, but Onyebuchi was also uh, you know from the Doug Wilson era too, and so I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure exactly. The direction of that but what i did hear though from uh from from a source is that he didn't hear anything negative about about Anyabuchi leaving uh leaving the barracuda organization for the coyotes and again doesn't mean that there was that there's not anything there but i'm trying to let you know uh what i've heard from people yeah. that I trust that are, you know, in the business. Um, finally, uh, Jeffrey VL is uh, someone that I, I, I tracked on. And, but if you look at VL, I mean, look at the contract he got from the Jets, right? He got a one-way contract, uh, not a two-way contract. So for the full 775, like, the Sharks weren't going to match that. Yeah. And so maybe maybe he wasn't happy here, but uh, it's also clear that he got a... 
you know, a, a, uh, a, a, you know, a contract that I don't think the Sharks were, were, were going to match. And, you know, I think the Sharks were moving on from the sort of the, the two-headed VL Gadjevich monster, as we saw uh, this, uh, this off season. And so, um, I, I, so I'm going to say again that, you know, I, I haven't heard anything, you know, Agazino's a maybe. Um, maybe. And so I'm, I'm still wondering about that. Uh, but Anyabuchi, VL, uh, from what I've heard, uh, nothing negative. And sure. the other guys, yeah, I, they weren't as sort of interesting cases to me just because, you know, I think Agazino and Anyabuchi are the most interesting because they had clear choices to make. You know, where Exito could have clearly come back with the Sharks. And Anyabuchi, uh, maybe, I don't know, but, you know, maybe yeah. could have joined the Sharks organization. Um, but the other guys, again, there's high turnover rate in the AHL. And so yeah, and they, they I, most I don't, of them I don't were know. Their first year on the Barracuda, right? CJ right. and and Bouillot and everything. They were kind of like their first year. So it's not like, yeah, they're turning over, but they're not longtime Barracuda that are, you know, the only one that I would think of would be VL and Aaron Dell. Aaron Dell is like, you know, been in and out of the Kudo organization, but he's also older, so he, right, he probably right, wanted right. to chase another contract somewhere. They already had three goalies last year with yeah. with with the Kuda, and so yeah. maybe the Sharks didn't want to repeat and of VL, that. VL VL's contract is, you know, it's an NHL contract. It is a one way, yeah. like you're saying. It's it's gonna be his opportunity to make a full time role in the NHL, mm-hmm. something that the Sharks probably weren't gonna give him. I um, mean, and- even even without Wi Fi, I take that contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even with really, really poor Wi-Fi in uh, Winnipeg. Um, yeah, and I've always said I that. I can buy VL plenty actually. of extenders that uh, that yeah. full NHL contract. I think v- I've always said that VL has a little bit more skill than he's he's been, you know, attributed to. He's not oh, just Oh, sure. In AHL, he is a terrific yeah. player. He's he's a yeah. guy, like, I actually thought years ago, and I wrote about this uh, when the Sharks first brought him on, that I actually saw a comp with John McCarthy and that VL could mm. be a kind of guy that you have in your organization for a decade and, or so and you know leading leading the way um yep. and so who knows you know uh, vl could still come back who knows uh you know john mccarthy actually interesting enough left uh the <laughs> sharks organization for one year joined the chicago wolves and he came back and yep. so you can leave and come home again that's true and and the last one i guess is is you know i guess you know we've talked about a little bit but anya bucci you know kind of like a not homegrown talent but something that their Barracuda invested a lot of time in, and, and sure. it's just honestly a great story. Like even sure. if he wasn't signed with a Barracuda, it's it's awesome that he got an NHL contract. It is, and you know you can say one way yeah, or the congratulations, other. Congratulations, Montana. Yeah, he's a he's a super fun player. He's always been fun. That's like you know the hallmark of his game. He's just a very very fun player. Um, but anyways, I want to move on a little bit. Um, our I, I know I guess he's our um, our colleague JD Young. Of, our good of- friend. Our good friend and colleague, I, you know, JD um, put a had a podcast on the Locked On Sharks podcast this week, um, a really interesting podcast on Thursday about this whole Barracuda culture and a couple of things he noted that weren't, you know, directly related to the Martin Cout interview, but other stuff that he had heard or had seen before. Um, and again, awesome work, JD. That was a really good podcast to listen to. Um, we, so some things that he mentioned, he said that they didn't provide meals for the guys until March. Um, and then, uh, you know, do you think that like, if that's the case, is it good for these players to be in you know, grabbing like in and out and, you know, Chipotle every game or before every game rather than getting like team design meals? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. just, just, just to quote JD, just so we don't, uh, sure. uh, 
So the, the exact uh, uh, quote is, if you're a young player on your way to the rink, grab yourself at the drive-thru. Uh, isn't developing players teaching them to take care of their body? It's a very good quote. And then uh, if you're still providing breakfast and they're still going out, at least you're still providing them with an option was something that he also mentioned. Um, and then finally, he mentioned that players' wives and their girlfriends, the wags, were, didn't have their own like way to watch the game. They'd have a private box. They had a way to watch the game, but it just was... Yeah, you know, not a not a, you know... A box, basically. Right, 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 um, right. So I guess, it, was there any digging that you could do on those fronts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, first I want to mention about the, the meals thing, because that did catch my attention as, you know, what's the AHL norm with that? You know, like, it were, have the Barracuda been doing something wrong? As far as I understand, uh, you know, there's... Uh, I think what JD was told, as far as I understand, uh, uh, you know, there's there's nothing in, inaccurate about what he said. Uh, not that I've heard so far, but um, I will say though that uh, first that um, in my observation, uh, the Barracuda have always provided players with post game meals. I don't know because I've seen it, you know, after a game in the hallways of the locker room, nothing tremendous, you know, looked like some pizza, maybe some salad, but still, uh, you know, food. Uh, sustenance, uh, energy, right, whatever, right, and I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know before this, you know, about sort of the um, situation uh, during practice, uh, morning skates, if there was any breakfast or anything, uh, any, anything uh, provided or uh, pregame. And so I checked around with with the, with a few people, and um, it, HL executives, I'll say. I'll say here, so people who who know about this kind of stuff, and also people that um, have long AHL playing experience, and so they've kind of seen the different kind of ways that teams treat players, right? Mm-hmm. And I was told that just in general, that um, players, you know, providing all meals to players, at least at the AHL level, is totally is a new thing. You know, relatively new thing. I'm not saying that no one is doing it, but um, not every team is doing it. You know, this is a contrast to, I did a great interview with uh, Marcus Nudavara uh, recently just on San Jose Hockey Now. And I don't want to get into all of these. We're talking about something else. But one thing that uh, Marcus mentioned is when he was uh, rehabilitating with the Sharks, that he loved the breakfast. And he loved the, you know, it's a buffet, so many choices, et cetera, et cetera, right? And he genuinely felt spoiled and he loved it. Now that is Marcus Nudavara on the Sharks. And I think that is about the AHL norm. Uh, the AHL, that wouldn't be, that, that's, not the, that's not the norm. And the same goes for uh, players, uh, wives and girlfriends uh, having a private box. Uh, also, uh, not necessarily the, the norm at the at the at the AHL level and um yeah actually one source said that this is the exact quote uh food isn't required at all providing food is a new thing (laughs) (laughs) and uh having a private section for the family isn't necessarily a thing either and so it's not to say that they shouldn't be things and so if you're talking about, you know, making the, the, the Barracuda a, you know, not cutting edges in the right word, but like new age, head of the class organization yeah. in the AHL, then that might be something that, that, that you consider that you provide all meals and that 
there's plenty of space at Tech CEU. You know, uh, JD said that in his podcast, and I mm. agree. And we've all seen it. there's plenty of space in both the boxes and regular seats. And so, sure. yeah, you you can have a box for them. I don't I don't think there's there's I don't I mean it's not it's not my money, but yeah, uh, but there is yeah. you know there is advantages of you know the San Jose having their AHL team in the same area as their NHL team, but that's not also the norm by far in the NHL. Sure. Most AHL teams are completely dislocated from their mm-hmm. NHL, you know, actual squads. And, and a lot of them aren't owned by the same group either. So mm-hmm. AHL teams are owned by different management groups than their NHL teams. They just happen to corroborate together. So right. it's not like everything is a one size fits all. Every single AHL team is getting three course meals every day. You know, it would be something that we would, I think, Obviously, players probably want, but it's not something that is, you know, the norm, like you said. Right, right, right. So, yeah. uh, So I and and I would say that, um, like, that can be improved, I guess. Yeah, for sure. But I I don't know if it is uh, rises to the level of a, you know, of, of this, like, big, awful problem that speaks to the Barracuda organization, you know, just being a total mess or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously like there's going to be post year interviews that are going to happen throughout the organization. They might've already happened. These could be things that are being brought up or. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interviews have yeah. happened. Exit interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, this Martin Cout interview might honestly be like a time when they review things. Maybe, maybe not, but it's something that, you know, I wouldn't say that because it didn't happen. A, that it's a problem, and B, that it won't be fixed if it, you know, didn't happen. So, um, uh, a few more things. So, you you were mentioning something we were talking earlier, something random that you were hearing about this this whole uh, <laughs> the Barracuda. This is this is more funny than me, but um, uh, yeah, a couple of people did mention me in the course of my uh, my my research that uh, uh, Joe Will, the GM of the Barracuda, isn't great about returning phone calls. So, <laughs> hasn't called you back yet, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> not not me, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, but uh, so I I, I found that um, kind of. Uh, uh, kind of kind of amusing hmm. all right well yeah i mean i don't know what else to dig on that maybe uh <laughs> more leave more voicemails maybe we'll get some <laughs> maybe maybe his voicemail box is full that's the worst right when that's you call somebody is. and their voicemail yeah. box is full that's what it is and and I, I think um you know we've talked a lot about this and and you know first and foremost want to mention it again the sharks have denied uh the claim that martin Cout made about fighting Mm-hmm. Um, which specifically is the most um, egregious egregious, or, you know, the, the hot button issue that might get raised from that interview. So mm-hmm. I want to make that up front that they denied it. He said it happened. We might not know ever whether or not it was true or I'm going to keep working on it, guys. <laughs> Shank's going to keep working on it. Um, the, but the final summary is there is some interesting things to think about with the Barracuda that maybe there is something about the younger players only playing for themselves, but maybe that's not out of the norm in general for, you know, 21 year olds to try and make it be better, but it could get improved. Um, And there's definitely a discipline problem with just the amount of bad penalties and selfish plays that they take, especially late in games. That's pretty calm or pretty apparent throughout the year for sure. Um, and then regarding the, the the food situation and the um, you know the just catering more to the the players on the Barracuda um, that it's not the norm either, but you know maybe it's something that could be improved overall. 
Yeah, and I, I eat plenty around uh, the TechCU and uh, and SAP Center before the game, so I have recommendations so if they want the, the, <laughs> some good food coming in. Or, again, you could recommend catering for them, for the Barracuda <laughs> staff. Maybe we can find a way to get this to be fixed. Um, we will update you as we know it. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to summarize about the whole situation, Chuck? Well, I think in general I did want to say that um, – you know, I, I'm not the I'm not the definitive source of, of all this. I'm trying, and like I said, uh, you know, spoken with many uh, leak sources, some more inside, some more outside, and this is what I've gotten so far. And so I'm gonna keep working on it. But right now, just again at the moment, from everything I've gathered. I would say that the Barracuda are not necessarily are not considered the you know top of the class AHL organization, even though that new arena is pretty sweet, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, if the Barracuda had a comment box, you know, like outside the locker room or outside of the the yeah. office or wherever you might have a comment box, right? That it might be stuffed with a lot of comments and a good amount of complaints. Yeah, so I I, I recognize that. But besides the count accusation about being asked to fight in every single game, which again, you know, the Sharks have categorically and completely denied, I haven't heard of anything specific telling me that it's a problem organization. It's an organization that, you know, players don't want to go to, that agents don't want to, don't want to, um, don't want their players to play at and things like that. You know, individual players could have problems. They could be unhappy with this or that coaching staff, treatment uh, 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 treatment of the players, treatment of uh, their family, right? And that could be individual to the player, but not so great that there is this, you know, you know, big red alert when uh, when when a Barracuda call you uh, and see if you want to sign with them. And we can see that with the guys that they've signed, you know, pretty good AHL players in Carpenter, Saperin, and Todd. Um, so, uh, indeed, you know, I think the Barracuda, you know, from what we gather, they can lead the way more uh, in terms of being a, you know, top-of-the-class organization uh, instead of sort of trending or following with the rest of the AHL. But at the moment, you know, the big question for me once again is Couts fighting accusations. But besides that, the Barracuda are just another Barracuda, I'm sorry, another AHL organization. You know, can be better, can be worse. And so anyway, uh, you know, will we hear more stuff beyond Cout? You know, we'll we'll see. You know, maybe there will be more. And maybe this uh, this last hour, I'm going to look really stupid in, in, in the end. But uh, once again, though, yeah, I'll, I'll just repeat it again. Um, from everything that I've gathered, everything that I've been digging at, uh, talking with many people, and I'm still going to work on it. But right now, my view of the Barracuda is that they're just another AHL organization. Yeah. And I, I think that's it's not the the prettiest bow that we can put on this this you know present for today. Um, it might just be a mediocre bow. Yeah, no better, no worse. Exactly. We're trying to to find the the actual truth here regarding what the the Barracuda are as an organization. Um, I think, it, and this is a pretty good segment or segue to our our upcoming interview with Anthony Duclair, is that 
in hockey, there's, you know, for the past four or five years, there's been kind of a change in hockey culture, right? There's been lots of mm. um, result or lots of um, accusations of, you know, misconduct, sexual assault, racism, all sorts of things in hockey that um, are real and serious that I think, you know, when people start to hear these kinds of accusations happening for their favorite organization, obviously they're going to listen because this is the things that are, they're being brought up at hockey and it's something that we can't ignore, but you know, it's a good thing that we continue to dig to try and find the right um, information to, to get to fans. So in our interview with uh, Anthony Duclair, which we're going to get to in a minute, he mentions a lot of the things that he had to deal with as a child um, to keep playing the game of hockey, the game that he loves um, dealing with racism as a, even as a, a young child. So I think, just something to keep in mind as, as we get into that interview is that, you know, hockey is a, you know, the game that we all love, but it can be problematic and something that we have to take head on as we move forward. Basically. Yeah, we have to keep investigating and digging when people aren't talking as much. Or mm -hmm. in Anthony's case here, uh, he was very open and candid and it's a great interview. Yeah. So enjoy guys. And it's been a little bit of a heavier week this week. Um, and again, like uh, I'll say every single week next week, we're going to have, you know, Eric Carlson trade <laughs> news. It's going to be a news. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. One we're day, one day we'll talk about two it. Two <laughs> hours breaking down the entirety of the trade from like the first round pick to the AHL, you know, guy that we got, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. They, um, the, the, the year is uh, 2033. Eric Carlson <laughs> is uh, still on the Sharks cap. Exactly. <laughs> still a retainment slot. <laughs> yeah, it's still 5.75 million against the cap. All right, guys, have a good week. We'll see you next week. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And now we welcome Anthony Duclair to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Anthony is one of the newest members of the Sharks. He was acquired in a trade for Stephen Lawrence earlier this June or July uh, from the Florida Panthers. He has played a total of nine seasons in the NHL with six different teams after being drafted in 2013 by the New York Rangers. In the 2021-2022 season, he set career highs in goals, assists, and points with the Panthers with 31 goals and 58 points. He was an integral part of Florida's Stanley Cup final run, scoring 11 points in 20 games this past playoff. Everybody welcome Anthony Duclair. Thanks for having me. Uh, Anthony, I wanted to start off first with your involvement with the uh, Black Ice hockey uh, documentary. Uh, Black Ice is produced by LeBron James and Drake, among others, and stars P.K. Subban, Wayne Simmons, Sarah Nurse, yourself, and many others. And it's out now exclusively at AMC Theaters in the U.S. And I watched it on Monday. And I've got to say, there's some harrowing stuff in there about the racism that you and your peers have faced, you know, even when you were little kids. But Black Ice is also a story of, you know, one of the great underappreciated innovators in the sport of hockey, the Colored Hockey League, which uh, predates uh, the 20, uh, it's uh, from the 1900s. And so let's start there, Anthony. You know, one of the coolest things about the documentary about Black Ice is hearing about the Colored Hockey League and its innovations like the slap shots. I'm just wondering, was this documentary the first time that you heard of the CHL? No, it wasn't the first time. Um, actually, my dad, uh, when I was growing up, uh, actually got me the book um, and, and maybe and maybe read it. So um, I knew all about it, uh, not to the extent of the documentary, obviously. Um, when I first saw the documentary is where I saw some, you know, new revelations and stuff like that. But um, at the same time, yeah, I, I knew about it. I knew um, how 
Um, you know, they were out there in the East Coast uh, in Canada, um, you know, playing the game uh, that they love. And, and then, um, you know, their league got shut down and, and then the, the NHL came, came by. But, um, yeah, I, I knew all about it growing up. But, uh, you know, seeing that documentary obviously uh, opened my eyes and um, hopefully, you know, a lot of people can, can go ahead and, and watch that too. And, and hopefully they can, you know, learn a little bit of history about uh, the Color Hockey League and uh, how it was founded before the NHL. Yeah, that's like some cool Canadian hockey knowledge that uh, I I didn't know, uh, you know, being here in the U.S. And so I'm glad that the documentary uh, uh, brought it to light. I also wanted to ask you, you know, in the documentary, uh, you told a really gut-wrenching story about your first encounter with racism in hockey. You know, about when you were 9 or 10 at a youth hockey tournament, having racist gestures and taunts directed at you by parents. And... You know, want to ask you, how often did you have to deal with that throughout your youth career? Yeah, pretty often. Um, it has it happened a couple times, to be honest. And, um, you know, all when I was uh, younger, you know, growing up and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, when you're, you're the only black kid on your team, the only black kid, you know, on, on both, uh, on both teams playing. Um, you know, I can only imagine how hard it was on my parents as well for them uh, when they were growing up. I'm sure it was even worse. And, um, but, um, you know, it, it, uh, it made me stronger. I think it made me mature, um, you know, uh, very, at a very young age. And, um, I had to understand, um, you know, what it, what it is to be, you know, a, a black person in this world early on in my life. And, um, you know, just, uh, sharing those experiences sometimes, you know, with, uh, with my parents and, um, just having those difficult conversations because, you know, it's not easy, um, you know, growing up and, um, you sometimes you just feel alone. You feel like uh, nobody can understand you, and um, especially you know in the locker room where you know you, nobody really looks like you. So um, for myself, um, you know it was tough at times, but at the same time, I, I loved the game so much that um, I didn't want anyone to um, you know tell me what I can't do, and um, you know anyone you know I didn't want anyone to to put me down to a point where I was going to quit the sport. So, um, you know, I thought about it, you know, obviously growing up, uh, but uh, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, I was going to go through with. And, um, you know, my, my passion was to, to make, uh, my, my goal, sorry, was uh, to make the NHL. And, um, you know, I just stuck with that uh, throughout my whole childhood. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's even sad to even have to talk about, like, was there ever a point that, you, a breaking point for you that I thought, that you thought that maybe the sport isn't for me? I, I like I said I have those conversations with myself, but you know I just love the sport so much that uh, I didn't want to get there. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, growing up, um, you know, when I fell in love with hockey, um, I would say around four or five years old, I just I just knew that uh, that's what I wanted to do. Um, you know, growing up, uh, Montreal Canadiens fan, um, you know, watching the Canadians play, and I just knew that's that's just my my only goal in mind is uh, to make it there someday and. Um, you know, there were times, you know, difficult times where, um, you know, it might not uh, it might not seem too bright, but at the same time, um, you know, I just stuck with it and I knew um, that, uh, you know, there's going to be a path for me uh, somehow. And one thing that you just mentioned this, one thing that shines through in this documentary is that you and so many of your peers, you guys persevered through all this hate because of, you know, maybe just simply because of your love of the game. And, you know, what else gets you through the trials and tribulations that you faced here? You know, who and what, uh, you know, who do you credit for overcoming, you know, kind of all the people that may not want you here? And you mentioned your parents. 
Yeah, I mean, family and uh, close friends, obviously, are, are probably the, the main people that uh, got me through those tough times. Um, you know, I credit them, um, you know, even to this day. So, um, you know, I'm very lucky to, um, you know, be part of, uh, you know, a family where they, they raised myself and my brother and, and my little two sisters the right way and um, to, to treat others with respect and love and um, just give back uh, whenever you can and, and you know, just... Um, Treat people how you want to be treated is obviously um, the main line we, we've heard, you know, growing up. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what's happened to you or, or, or whatnot. Um, you know, you, you still, you know, got to show that that sense of respect. And, um, you know, as I, as I grew older, obviously, um, people started to mature and stuff and um, started to hear less and less. And I uh, came to a point where, you know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. But uh um, you know, for me now in this position I am today, I'm, I'm still hearing those stories uh, for, from kids uh, that are playing hockey. So um, I'm obviously uh, doing my best, uh, you know, reach out to, to those kids and uh, reach out to the communities and, and uh, just uh, expa explain my, my story, explain my experiences. And in general, was that the message from your parents that, uh, you know, treat others like you want to be treated and you sort of have to turn the other cheek, you know, kind of what, what people are saying to you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, put your head down and, and, and work harder. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, just as a, as a race, as, as black people, we just have to work harder uh, to, to get uh, what we want. And, um, you know, that's just uh, the mentality my dad uh, ingrained in me at a young age. And um, he's always uh, preached uh, to, to work harder, to, um, you know, do do extra. And, um, you know, I think that's a big reason why, you know, I made it to the NHL is just because of the extra ice times. Uh, I, I've done the extra workouts that, uh, you know, my my, the, my teammates uh, on the teams and my local teams, um, you know, wouldn't be doing, you know, behind the scenes. And, um, you know, just uh, all those, uh, you know, extra extra ice times, extra workouts obviously added up. And, um, you know, I saw my progression um, at an early age, you know, come to fruition. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, just having that success early on, you know, when you know you're 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 a pretty good player, and um, you know you're you're getting scouted to play on big teams, and um, you know you, you don't want to, you know, anything to um, ruin that. And um, you know, when when those difficult times happen, um, you know, I just uh, kept uh, you know a, a straight arrow and, and kept uh, believing in my goal. And you talked about uh, working with younger players, you know, through your Declare Foundation, you've held camps this summer for youth players of all backgrounds in Florida and Montreal. And so anyway, for the players of color in your camp, uh, you know, do you do you do you talk to them about sort of the, the what you the, the hate that you faced and, um, you know, how has that helped them with the hate that they faced, uh, uh, they will face in the coming years or have faced already? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was pretty um, cool experience to to help uh, to help these camps. Um, you know, one in Florida, one in Montreal, my hometown. Um, it was some it was a project that I've always wanted to do um, since I stepped in the league. I I knew that that was just something I wanted to do, and uh, I didn't know when it was gonna happen. But um, you know, I just gotta let time decide that. And um, you know, I think this year was actually a perfect timing to um to, to get that going and um you know both in both camps i've had uh you know kids come up to me um you know personally and ask them uh, you know what did you do what, what happened uh, when you when you faced those challenges because they 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 faced those uh, you know those taunts those racist acts um you know and these are kids that are you know eight nine ten years old so it's um 
it's not really surprising to me anymore. I've, I've kind of heard it all. I've seen it all, um, to be honest. And for me, um, when I'm hearing this, you know, from these nine, 10 year old kids, you know, my, my heart, uh, you know, goes out to them and I just want to do everything possible to, you know, make them feel uh, welcome, make them feel, um, you know, confident in, in what they're doing. And, um, you know, I, uh, I held, uh, you know, in both camps, you know, like a full, you know, camp meeting where I would sit the kids down and explain my story, explain my experiences and, um, you know, answer all the questions that they may have. And, um, you know, just having uh, some, uh, some, some, some tough conversations with, uh, you know, with kids, you know, it's, uh, it's not something that, um, you know, everyone wants to talk about, but I think it's necessary, especially in the sport. And, um, you know, if we want to see the sport grow and want to see the sport uh, evolve, like, you know, I, I think uh, I think we we can see like uh, you know like other leagues like the NBA, the NFL. I don't think there's um, any reason why the NHL can get to that level. And I think you know we 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 need more diversity. And um, I'm just trying to do my part uh, to help the younger generation be be confident in their shoes. Well, like you said, Anthony, it's a tough conversation, but it's an important one. So I thank you for uh, talking about it. Everybody, go see Black Ice. It's in AMC, only at AMC theaters right now. Awesome, Anthony. Let's let's move on a little bit to the Sharks, if that's all right. In your uh, introductory press conference, you talked a lot about Joe Thornton, talking with him about San Jose, uh, and you played with Joe in Florida in 2021 and 2022. Do you have a favorite Joe Thornton story? <laughs> <laughs> Or no one can share with us, I guess. <laughs> where do I even start with this guy? Uh, no, I mean we all know Joe. He's such a happy, fun-loving, um, you know, guy. He's just uh, just so so full of energy uh, every single day. Even uh, even at his age, I'm pretty sure he was 41, 42 at the time when he was playing with us. But um, I think it was just constant, everyday laughs. Uh, that's what I remember from Joe. Um, you know, he comes to the rink and he, he's the loudest guy in the room and he's just, <laughs> he's just so fun and um, gets all the boys going. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what happened the night before or, or that day. He's, he's making everybody smile. And, um, you know, just uh, I was actually <clears throat> such an honor to play with him. Just even just for that one year, um, you know, we, we stayed in contact even through this season. He would call the boys on FaceTime. He loves his FaceTime calls. So he, <laughs> he would call the boys uh, all the time during the year just to, just to catch up. And, um, you know, that's just the type of guy he is. Um, you know, he's just um, he's just uh, so much so much respect for him, obviously, and what he's done in his career. But, you know, just off the ice, um, you know, he just follows it up with his attitude and, and his camaraderie amongst uh, amongst teammates. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, he was still calling you guys during the the season. His ex, you know, Panthers teammates. He must have been really proud of you guys uh, throughout your cup run. Yeah, no, he was. Uh, he was. He was great. He was uh, pulling for us. He was telling us uh, since the beginning. So he said, uh, you know, he had lots of fun playing with us, and um, you know, he's uh, he, he 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 definitely helped us, um, you know, get through that run. And um, you know, obviously, appreciate his friendship uh, for sure. What are they kind of like group calls? Because I'm kind of imagining Jumbo calling you after practice and it's you <laughs> and Matt Kachuk and, I don't know, uh, Alexander and there's Jumbo another line. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like he would, you know, FaceTime me and uh, if I'm near the boys or on the bus <laughs> or whatever, I'll just awesome. haul, haul up the phone uh, in front of the boys and he would just scream out, hey, what's up, fellas? And uh, <laughs> just, uh, just have a laugh. You know, he, he, he's, such a, he's such an enjoyable guy to be around. Yeah.
We hear he's still a workout machine. So do you think there's a chance that he's going to center you next season on the show? <laughs> I would absolutely love that. <laughs> I'm going to put yeah, it down to the Play another season with Jumbo. That would, that would be awesome. <laughs> and um, you're also coming to San Jose with uh, Giovanni Smith. What can you tell us about Giovanni on and on the ice and in the room? Yeah, he's a really great guy. I got to, um, you know, obviously I, I've played against him a couple of years, but that was the first time I actually got to meet him uh, last year and as a teammate. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a big body. He, he likes to get on the forecheck. Um, he's actually got some speed and some sneaky skill. So, um, you know, um, look for him to, you know, be a threat, uh, you know, on the heart on the forecheck. And, um, you know, he's a big body in that front. So um, he can definitely, you know, um, you know, finish around the net, tip some pucks and, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward uh, for him to, you know, really step up and do his own. And, and uh, you know, it's a big year for him and where he is in his career. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to play alongside him again and, um, you know, help him uh, in any way I can. Awesome. And have you um, talked yet with David Quinn about what he has planned for you this season or, or just some of the Sharks plans this season? Um, we talked, we had one conversation uh, with both, um, you know, Mike uh, and and uh, David uh, right where I got traded. And it was uh, <clears throat> just about, um, you know, just about welcoming me to the team and, and stuff like that. And I just let him know that, uh, you know, wherever he has me, you know, in the lineup or whoever he has me playing with, I'm, I'm just excited to be there. And I'm looking forward to, you know, coming down there and training camp, working hard and um, doing everything I can to, you know, win some games. So for me, it's... Uh, um, business as usual, uh, to be honest. Um, we haven't gone to too much detail in, in my role and stuff, but um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, you know, having a big season. Uh, I think uh, I think I told him my my goal this year is to to play 82 games. I've yet to do that in my career yet. So especially after missing so much time last year, it's a big summer this year for me to you know get healthy and um, get in the best shape I can to you know help produce. I would guess that the one message that they had for you is score. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Anthony, I want to thank you uh, so much uh, for your time here. Just had actually just a couple more for you. Yeah. Um, one a, a little more uh, serious and one uh, hopefully a little more fun. Um, you are part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. You do a lot of uh, great work uh, with them. Uh, but I do have to ask you about a recent Twitter spat between founding member Evander Kane and the HGA. And essentially, for those of you listening that you know aren't aware, uh, Evander wrote on Twitter that he's leaving the HGA because HGA members, uh, and I quote, are being led and influenced by members with individual agendas. And the HGA countered on Twitter that Evander hasn't really been part of the HGA for two years and said, and I quote, he needed to do more work before rejoining and that Evander's accusations of individual agendas are, and I quote, unfounded. And so just asking you, uh, what can you say about Evander's claim that the HDA is perhaps veering from what he thinks the sort of the vision of, of uh, what the organization should be? Yeah, pretty shocking. Um, to be honest, I, I stand by our statement. Um, I mean, last two years, we, um, <clears throat> uh, Evander hasn't been part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. We, he was removed, uh, you know, after his claims of uh, bankruptcy, uh, you know, came to light and, um, you know, sponsorships and um, partners that uh, worked with the HDA um, agreed that it was better the, that he leaves, you know, um, as soon as the, the news broke out. So, um, Pretty shocking to to hear that uh, from him. You know, for us, 
um, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best to grow the game. And that's, that's the, there's no personal agenda to it. That's just what we're trying to do. And uh, we've done exactly that since uh, forming the Alliance three years ago. And, um, you know, Akeem Aliou has, has done an unbelievable job, uh, you know, since then to take over the reins. And um, he's done, um, you know, built some incredible programs in, in, the, in the area of Toronto. And, um, and just uh, helping kids, helping families, um, you know, uh, get access to hockey equipment and get access to um, practice times on the ice and even off the ice with ball hockey. So um, we're doing incredible work. We're, we're only starting, um, especially, um, you know, you've seen a couple of HDA members on, on the, the film Black Ice. And, um, you know, we're going to keep uh, building, keep, um, you know, trying to grow the game and um, keep doing some solid work. So anything uh, apart from that is is going to be shocking to me, shocking to us. And, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we know that it's not going to be easy. There's some people that uh, might have different views and stuff like that. But, um, you know, for us, we're, we're, we're looking at the big picture and uh, that's the grow the game and we're going to continue to do that. And anything exciting on tap for HGA this coming year? Uh, lots of secrets, so we'll have to, we'll have to uh, show you when it gets done. But, uh, okay. um, you know, between the HDA, between my foundation, um, you know, lots of uh, exciting news to, to, to come ahead for sure. And so Shane got to ask the hard question. I'm going to ask the fun question then. So you're, uh, you're a man of fashion and style, Anthony. I have to ask you this weekend, are you seeing Barbie or Oppenheimer or are you seeing both of them? <laughs> I would love to see Oppenheimer. I will not be. I have no plans on seeing Barbie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm surprised. I thought you might say, say, uh, say Barbie. So. No, I have no plans right now. But, uh, I never say never, but I got no plans right now. But I'm actually really excited to, to see that Oppenheimer. I'm not sure when I'll be able to see it, but it seems like a, a great movie and uh um, he's one of my favorite actors. I loved him from uh, the TV series. Um, uh, yeah, Peaky Blinders. Yeah, it's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Well, I got to say, Anthony, I think he would look, I think he would agree. You look great in pink. So <laughs> <laughs> no, just teal, just teal for me. Just teal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Anthony, for, for joining us and yeah, for thank you, Anthony. Uh, yeah, humoring thank you. us on our questions. Yeah, thank you guys. Looking forward to having me and you at camp. Yep, take it easy, man. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.